Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Cole. So let's join the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, which is just about to get underway. sunshine out to the radio audience. And you know what we do? The first time we sing through, we turn around, shake hands with as many as possible. And now lift it up a great volume of music out to the radio audience. Thank you. 
Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every fall is vanquished, and Christ is Lord Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. For through the mighty conflict, in this his glorious day, ye that are men now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger, and strength to strength.
you'll have to get along with meager fare. Just remember in his word how he feeds a little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel, he can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If Trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it
And now, Mrs. Fuller, with the letters. Go right ahead, honey. I'm starting to call you honey twice. Uh, greetings, friends. From Modesto, a lady writes a warm and friendly letter. Dear Charles Fuller, we are steady listeners to the old-fashioned revival hour and are lovers of the Word of God. How the Lord has blessed you in spreading the true gospel, and we pray for you. In fact, Mr. Fuller, you are my spiritual father. Because at a Youth for Christ meeting in San Francisco on May the 17th and 46th, you spoke to some 1,300 people, and I was one of the 60 or 70 who went forward to accept Christ that night. He has been so very precious and close to me these three years, and since that night, eight of my relatives have accepted him as Savior. We are faithful in our church here and love to study God's Word. A lady writes from Georgia. She writes, Dear Brother Fuller, I am still disappointed because I didn't get to hear and see you when you were so close. But it rained so hard I let a friend have my bus ticket. And now my only hope of ever telling you how much your broadcast is meant to me will be in heaven when I have sufficient language. Last Sunday I did not get your program at the usual hour, and my heart went faint as I recalled your previous remark that if the hour was silent, it was because you had to drop that station. But this Sunday, when Jesus saves rolled in as usual, there was untold joy. I can go to church, but countless numbers of people cannot. And if for no other reason than that, that shut-ins and lost souls who never enter a church can hear, I do feel that your down-to-earth Bible messages should continue on the air. And I am so glad that I can send some of God's funds to help in your support. From Chicago, the program brings blessing wherever it goes. One young woman dying of cancer was saved, comforted, and died rejoicing. My mother, a 78-year-old invalid, and father, 88 years old, live from one Sunday to the next in anticipation of the broadcast. They live in a small town in Iowa where they have no true gospel preaching. I want to help to keep you on the air for such as they and for others who love the sweet gospel messages as you present them. And then this last letter, dear Reverend Fuller. It is already burning hot out here on the desert, and we are facing another almost unbearable summer. We can't afford any kind of air cooler, and as the long days and hot nights wear on, we just long for a bit of cool sea breeze. But our refreshing breeze comes once a week from the old-fashioned revival hour. I pull the shades and make the little house as cool as possible. And with a pitcher of iced tea close by, I lie down to enjoy every word and every note of the heavenly music and wish that I could just hold back the minutes and make the hour last longer. It goes so fast, and then there is another week to wait. We have no church within miles of us. Your hour draws me closer to God and inspires me to carry on and to try to live all week as he would have me to live. And that is all I shall have time for today, friend.
Father, we thank Thee today that we have an advocate, our representative at Thy right hand, our high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, that Thou dost know the thoughts and intents of the hearts, that Thou dost know the sorrows and the joy, Thou dost know the teardrops and the smiles, and we thank Thee today we can come to Thee under all circumstances and just lay every case and every burden and every trial and every problem at thy blessed feet, for all things do work together for good to those that love God, to those that are the called one. Now comfort sorrowing hearts today. Comfort hearts that are going through strange and fiery trials. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ sink into the hearts of many now unsaved, but that will be brought to the marvelous redemption in Christ, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. (laughs) 
and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. I fixed it up with Jesus many years ago. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just over in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I have no You are listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. The message for today is titled, The Topology of Noah's Ark. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 11, as we rejoin the broadcast. I'll provide address information after Dr. Fuller's message. Today we're speaking upon the typology of the Ark of Noah's Day. Let me read to you a few verses out of the sixth chapter of Genesis, beginning at the eleventh verse. The earth also was corrupt before God, and, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be about three hundred cubits. Now the sacred cubit was used in Old Testament days about twenty-five inches. And so the ark was about six hundred and twenty-five feet in length, about a hundred feet in width, and about sixty feet in height according to our present-day measurements. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Now, in this picture, God's picture of the ark, we have one of the greatest types and foreshadows of the believer's salvation in Christ. Now, this ark was built by Noah according to divine instruction. 
in which he and his house together with his representatives or with the representatives from the lower creations found shelter from the storm of God's wrath, this type is one of the clearest and most comprehensive types of the believer's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ found anywhere in the Scripture. The first thing to be noted, if you want to jot them down, you can do it because it's right here in the sixth chapter of Genesis. The first thing to be noted in connection with the ark was this. It was a divine provision by faith. Noah, being warned, that is, divinely instructed, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. And the word ark means a floating building, not a racing yacht. It needs speed in those days. What he wanted to do was to be in the ark, something that would float and be safe. So the word ark here means a floating building. Bear in mind that before the flood came, before the ark or the floating building was made, a means of escape for God's own existed in God's mind. The ark was not provided by God after the waters had begun to descend. Noah was warned, divinely instructed to construct the ark before even a drop of water fell. So the saviorship of Christ was no afterthought of God. When sin had entered the Garden of Eden, God had purposed to redeem His own from before the foundation of the world. And we read in Revelation 13:8 that Christ, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the ark was God's provision in Noah's day for salvation. And I say it with all the conviction of my heart. Christ is God's only provision for salvation in these days. Genesis 6.14, in the second place, God commanded, or Noah was commanded to make the ark of gopher wood. The ark wasn't made of steel, but of wood. And before the ark could be made, trees had to be cut down. That is, that which secured the life of Noah and his house was obtained by the death of the tree. Here we have a hint of our Lord's humanity. Isaiah 53, 2, a root out of dry ground. And so we learn that the eternal God became Son of Man, God manifest in the flesh, and as such was cut down, or according to the language of Daniel 9.26, cut off. And so before a refuge could be provided for sinning humanity, death must take place, and the death of Christ on Calvary's cross secures the life of all who will accept and come by faith. Third, the ark in Noah's day was a place of refuge from divine judgment. Now there are three arks mentioned in the Old Testament. The ark of the bulrushes in which the little baby Moses was protected from the murderous designs of Pharaoh. Second, the ark of the covenant that was in the tabernacle in the wilderness and later in the temple. 
sheltered the two tables of stone on which were written the holy law of God. Third, Noah's ark securing those within from the outpoured wrath of God in the days of the flood. God saw the wickedness of man's heart was great. He warned Noah, divinely instructed him, and Noah, being warned of God, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Each of these three arks speaks of Christ. And putting the three together, we learn that the believer is sheltered from Satan's assault, as in the case of baby Moses, from the penalty of the law for the two tables of stone upon which the law was written was overshadowed by the blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And as in the case of Noah, sheltered from God's wrath for all who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Noah's ark was the only place of deliverance from God's wrath in his day. So, listen carefully, sinning friend on the broad road to destruction. Will you take heed, please, young men? Christ is the only Savior. No other way for lost sinners to escape except through Christ. For Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's God's word. Christ, speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, said, I am the way, not a way. Notice Genesis 7-1, please, in your Bible. I want to read it to you. Oh, how beautiful these words are. Spoken there, and the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Will you notice it please? First, come. This is the first time in the Bible that the word come is found. It occurs well over 500 times in the remainder of the Bible, but here in Genesis 7 1, is the first occurrence of the word come. Now notice, God did not say go. Instead, he said come. Go would be more of a command, stern, heartless, speaking of separation, departure. But the word come is a gracious word, a word of invitation from a loving heart, and the longing heart of the Savior saying to Noah, Come into the ark. Go would imply that the Lord was bidding Noah to depart from him. Come suggests that the Lord was present in the ark to meet him and to be with him. Now will you notice the next word? Come thou. Come thou, Noah. Speaks to Noah's heart and to his conscience. It's a personal matter. Come thou, sinning friend, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Come unto me, all ye labor and heavy laden. I'll give you a rest. For him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. The question then, in the fifth place, would the ark float when the floods came? Would it really be a place of safety? Or would it leak, fill with water, and finally sink, and Noah and his house be lost? Now follow through. Genesis 6, 14. I want you to notice the wording. Oh, how rich the Old Testament is in types or foreshadows. Will you notice it, please? Pitched within and without with pitch, not bitumen, as in Exodus 2 of the little ark in which the baby Moses rested. In the case of Noah's ark, pitched within and without. And the word pitch means to coat it or to cover it, to make it watertight. It is the word, the only word, that is further translated atonement. Leviticus 1.4, speaking of the burnt offering sacrifice, we're told there that the offerer bringing the burnt offering sacrifice shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement to be covered within and without. It is the blood that maketh atonement that covers. And so only atonement can keep the waters and the fires of God's judgment for sin from you. When I see the blood, God's Word says, I will pass over you. I never noticed this very well until I was digging into it in the next place, the 16th verse of the 7th of Genesis. I want you to see it. It's very, very significant. You may not like it, but it's there. 16th verse. And they went in when he said, Come thou and thy household. Reminds me of the Philippian jailer Paul saying to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou and thy household will be saved. But notice the 16th verse now. They that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded them. What are the next words? And the Lord shut him in. First Peter tells me that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Jude 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with the exceeding joy. God shut him in. Don't argue. It's right there. Furthermore, turn to the 8th chapter of Genesis Verses 18 and 19, after the flood, here it is. And Noah went forth, and his sons, after the flood, did God keep him while the waters of judgment were upon the earth? Yes, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, past, present, future, is able to keep. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we even ask for things. 
Now, will you notice Genesis 6, 16? I'm having you search your Bible. One door, not many doors. Reminds me of John 10, 9, where Christ said, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. Notice, Noah was told to set the door in the side of the ark. When I turn to John 19.34, on the morning of Calvary, I read these words. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came thereout blood and water. Back centuries in type, God said to Noah, place the door in the side of the ark, pointing to the wounded side of Christ out of which came blood and One window in the top for heavenly sunshine. Amen. Not a window around to look upon the things of the earth. If you begin to look around you today through China and Europe, you begin to tremble in fear. But as a child of God, lifting up your heads for the day of your redemption draws nigh, look, Unto Jesus, the heavenly light, and walk and run with patience the race that is set before you. I must hasten. Furthermore, in Genesis 6.14, it says to fashion the ark with room. Well, the word means nest. Still better, resting places. And I know immediately when I say those words to you who are spiritually minded and instructed, Your mind will go to the Last Supper where Christ said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. Same word, resting places. Nest. And if you know his rest, enter into it. I'm going to close with this. Very significant. The eighth chapter of Genesis, verse 4. I want you to see it. Oh, search the Scriptures. Study the Word. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Will you notice the 8th chapter, verse 4? The ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Why did the Holy Spirit put it down in such detail that it was the seventeenth month? The ark rested. Let me explain it to you. On the fourteenth day of the month, the Passover lamb was taken and slain, prefiguring Christ, our Passover, slain for us on Calvary's cross. Three days later, he arose from the dead and appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And he said, Peace, rest. And so back there in Genesis, when the ark, a beautiful prefigure of Christ, the Ark of Salvation, on the 17th day, three days after the 14th, it rested upon the heights of the mountain, speaking of this, that he is ascended, ever living to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. But wait, we will have preached in vain unless we come back to this. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Will you come? 
God has prepared the only way of salvation through Jesus Christ. No other foundation, no other name, no other way. Christ and Christ alone is the way of approach on the part of sinful man to a holy God. Judgment is ahead. Will you come? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Everyone bowed in his presence, please. Will you hear the gracious words of God which says, Come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come thou in thy house into the ark, the ark, no other way. If you're to be saved, there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Christ, the cross of Calvary. Friends in Radio Land, while we're bowed here in prayer in the municipal auditorium at Long Beach, Will you just take God at his word, repent of your sin, kneel just where you are and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Christ's sake. I do come into the ark. I see that Christ is the only way of redemption. God bless you. God bless you, mother, wherever you may be, out in Radio Land, son or daughter, God bless you. Let's continue in prayer as the chorus choir sings the closing invitation. On the old-fashioned revival hour, this is Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you. Continue in prayer as we leave the air on the old-fashioned revival hour.